Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Shamrock. Pete Sampson joined by Matt Fortuna atop LA Coliseum. Instead of being in the visiting coaches booth tonight, we're actually, uh, we're... I think Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreit called the game tonight. Someone else was doing a podcast. Yeah. Can you believe that? And they took our spot. It was um, a USC podcast. They uh, took everything from Notre Dame. <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, Notre Dame falls 38-27 to USC. I think. I mean, Matt, we've we've both covered games. I've I've covered more of them than you in the sense of like, you know, when USC is more talented than Notre Dame. I didn't really feel that way. Other than obviously at the quarterback position, um, it was uh, just a freak performance from Caleb Williams. I realize that he's been very good for the second half of the season, but I mean, what he did tonight with the escapability behind the line of scrimmage, uh, I mean, there were moments where it felt like his scrambling ability was made Notre Dame's pass rush, which has been very good this season, into like a, a spring practice footwork drill. Um, he was an NFL player playing in a college football game. Um, you know, he finished with 232 yards passing, three rushing touchdowns. I don't think he was touched on any of them. Um, and one passing touchdown. Uh, his 35 yards rushing were comically underselling <laughs> uh, his impact on the game. Uh, I, I thought Notre Dame did a lot of good things tonight. It was not a game where I felt like Notre Dame needed to play perfectly to win but they needed to play better than they did. Uh, and that, I think, really chafed Marcus Freeman post-game. Uh, his post-game interviews due to a real cluster on the field I did not attend. But um, I think he – not that this was like, hey, this is one that got away, but if you're a head coach and you need to play an A game and you put a B minus, C plus out there, when USC – did play clean. They did play well. Um, that that has to sting a little bit. I think if you're if you're Notre Dame, not that this was like there for the taking, but it was there to for it to be a game in the fourth quarter more than it was. You know, it's interesting. I, you know, USC got out with interviews a lot later than Notre Dame did. I was down for those. I was you know shooting the bull with some people with that program outside, and uh, first thing they said, that's the best team we've played all year. And we yeah. thought that coming in, we thought mm-hmm. that'd be the case. I don't know if, like, in real time, that would be my takeaway. Um, you know, thirty-eight twenty-seven. I'm, I, I, I think the gaps there, and I, I shouldn't say the gaps there right now. I thought it would be a stretch to call us a winnable game for Notre Dame because they would have had to do a lot of things they didn't do. Um, but you know, it's. Great as Caleb was, and he was, that was the second lowest passing output of the season next to a Washington State game where he had 188 yards. Um, the stats don't really tell the story with Caleb Williams. I think they do tell him with Notre Dame. They ran for just 90 yards, and they gave up 204 yeah. rushing yards to a USC team that's been without its top running back the last two weeks. Uh, that's alarming. Uh, 
said all week, all season, you know, USC, say what you want about their defense. They lead the nation in turnover margin. And sure enough, they win the turnover battle 2 nothing tonight. That can't happen. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I come out of this and, and yeah, okay, like Notre Dame, like they fought. They played hard. They definitely didn't quit. I mean, they, they showed enough fight in the second half where I thought, you know, they've got a chance here. Um, but when it's all said and done, you look up, they lose by 11. I have no idea why they went for two on that last one. That didn't make sense for me from a math standpoint. Um, but they lose by 11. And yet I can't help but but think to myself, this is the worst USC team they will ever face under Lincoln Riley. And they're 11 points worse than them. And from a programmatic yeah. standpoint, that's a little alarming to me because you don't get to make excuses if you're Marcus Freeman or Notre Dame football by talking about it's year one. I know he Lincoln Riley's not a first-year head coach. He's been a head coach for five years before this. But this is his first year at USC, and he's on the brink of having the greatest turn, single-season turnaround probably in college football history. And I don't think they're anywhere close to where they're going under him. And, and that's scary. Yeah, no, there's no doubt that like USC is, is back-ish. Um, you know, there as I was walking off the field with Lincoln Riley, uh, some fans shouted Pete Carroll who at him. <laughs> uh, and like USC is not at that level. I mean, those were terrifying USC teams. I mean, they were they had just they were they had dudes everywhere. Um, this USC team has some very good receivers, pretty good running back. Uh, and a transcendental talent at quarterback. Um, Who's coming back, by the way. Yeah, really, it's uh, bizarre that he has to play in college <laughs> next year. Him and Marvin Harrison Jr., I think, maybe be the top two picks in this year's draft if they're eligible. Yeah, it's pretty wild to, to think about how Notre Dame has to defend him next year. Um, but it, it's like to get into Notre Dame's performance, there were, there were so many things Notre Dame did tonight, even in the first half, where you'd be like, okay, if X happened you would feel good. I think at halftime, USC had 222 yards. Uh, Drew Pine was 8 of 8. They limited the game's possessions, which was how Notre Dame wanted to play it. I mean, Notre Dame finished with – they averaged 7.8 yards per play. Like, I I need to go back and check sort of the – the statistics on that for the course of the season, but that that is a really really high number for Notre Dame. It was higher. Like USC finished at seven point one. So there were a lot of things Notre Dame did well enough to win tonight. Um, but you cannot botch a quarterback running back exchange in the beginning of the second half. Nor can you get stuffed on third and two or fourth and run repeated like. Like Notre Dame's path to winning is, was much n- more narrow than USC's was because they don't have like a cheat code at quarterback. Um, and to do that, you have to be incredibly efficient on the ground. You have to be like in control of the football. Like Drew Pine's interception at, at the end, like is sort of like whatever. You're you're pressing. You have to take some risks. The fumble you can't have. The Mitchell Evans stuff you can't have. Um, those are. To me, it's like for how much better USC was at quarterback, so much of tonight's the story of tonight's game is USC being better in just a couple really big spots in the game, a couple really big snaps in the game. And mostly those were like USC's defense making a play, right. um, which they did not make many plays in the entire game. But Notre Dame's defense on the flip side – I don't. I mean, did they make a play at all? Uh, I mean, they had two sacks in the first half. Yeah, Foskey um, in the first half. I mean, but that 
that was it. I mean, it, like they were stretched thin. I will give them that. Yeah, I mean, the, they, they had to play the five fact, DBs. Right. I mean, and the fact that you know USC did not punt other than when their quarterback did the punting. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, Notre Dame – the fact that Notre Dame got to halftime and it was 17-7 and then they were going to get the ball to start the first – or the second half when you're playing without Cam Hart, which we knew, Tariq Bracey, which we didn't, um, you're starting Jaden Mickey, who's not you know ready for this kind of stage – Ben Morrison, who is, but you're also starting Xavier Watts. You're starting Rowan Henderson. Like it's not a, it's not a super talented secondary. It's not the one that Notre Dame thought it was going to go to battle with tonight, um, two weeks ago. So that, I think, in some ways, like Notre Dame had to kind of play uh, this kind of like very soft preventy defense. Like they played a lot of three three five formations tonight, which they haven't done all year. Um, and I get why they did it because they had to protect their secondary. But the flip side of that was you gave up 204 yards rushing to a, like a good offense. Don't get me wrong, but like Notre Dame cannot, they were not going to be able to win playing that style of defense, but I'm not, but I don't really know what other options they had. Like, cause when he, like you saw on, there were a couple third downs where USC went at Jaden Mickey, they have him playing sort of bail coverage where the receiver just runs hard up the field, gets past the six, turns around and comes back. The ball is right freaking there every time because Caleb Williams is throwing it. Um, I thought that Nurnham did a good job trying to paper over some cracks, but like, man, the cracks are the cracks. Um, and there was no there was no hiding from that by the time the game ended. I, I thought Drew Pine played one of his better games. I thought he played the type of game, fumble notwithstanding, that Notre Dame needed to, to have a chance in mm-hmm. this one. He completed his first 15 passes for, I think, 194 yards and two touchdowns. Um, they took some shots downfield. He had some money throws, uh, particularly I think it was the Colsey yep. uh, touchdown catch. It felt like USC got off to such a hot start. And frankly, I think, you know, got a little too cute early on trying the, the Heisman moment with the pass to Caleb Williams that ends up being an offensive much. pass interference. Like, it should have been 14-0, and that changes, I just think, the feel uh, of the game and of the stadium. But I thought Notre Dame had an answer for the first three quarters for everything USC did, for the most part, as far as responding to them scoring. But they needed more than just an answer tonight. They needed to make the defensive plays that USC ended up making um, and winning the turnover battle. They needed um, needed more than they got. I mean, they they needed to be able to stop the run when they needed to, and they were not able to do that for the reasons you mentioned. But again, I keep coming back. Like, Notre Dame's thin, but like, this is a program that should have some... Like, if USC can figure it out in the 12th game of their first year with a new coach with an entirely new roster... Um, I don't think Notre Dame has an excuse. I mean, the other part, and, and one thing, open air press box, uh, probably is electric Notre Dame USC game at Notre Dame, at USC since the Carroll days. I would yeah, imagine no like doubt. the stadium was rocking. It just feels like a bigger game. You hear the oohs and ahs every time Caleb Williams steps back. You hear the Heisman chants. Just a really cool, fun environment that I think is befitting this rivalry and that they've missed um, for obvious reasons the last decade or so. But I mean, Lincoln Riley. I mean, USC ran sixty one plays a night. You know how many of them went for 10 yards or more? Ooh, I don't know. It's going to be, you know, what? 24. Oh. 39% of USC snaps went for 10 yards or more. It did feel <laughs> like there were moments, and I think after the Pine fumble was one of them, where like four they, straight plays, they, they got Notre Dame and Al Golden on skates and were shoving them around. Um, yeah, overall, it's like I, it's kind of one of those game plans. It, it, maybe it's like the flip of the Ohio State offensive game plan where like, I understood why Notre Dame tried it. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. 
I understood why Notre Dame tried the defense they tried tonight, but there's no way in no world can Marcus Freeman look at that and be like, all right, that was that was the move because they, they never really took any chances, I felt like, which, you know, to be fair, how I think we're still talking about the double safety blitz at Ohio State. <laughs> like when you take chances, you can get smoked. Um, but there were they once you got into the second half, especially after the pine turnover, like. Notre Dame was never going to win the game without forcing a turnover. And I just, there was the one in the first half that the, I mean, I think Addison was clearly had recovered the ball. Um, But that was it. Like there, there wasn't a moment like, and I guess that sort of is fitting of a quarterback who finished 18 of 22. Like I have to go back and look at his four incompletions. How many of them were throwaways? I know one was in the first half where he got clobbered um, trying to throw it, but like, well, I guess, Frankly, one I don't know if I guess it was an OPI, so it doesn't count as a incompletion by the receiver or the running back, but um, oh. <laughs> it, it just it was just um I don't know. It, I didn't I didn't feel like they got close to making USC make a big mistake. Like there wasn't a batted right. ball, like you there wasn't a play you could point to and be like, oh, if that one USC offensive play went differently, because I don't think that it you can point to Caleb Williams escaping from Isaiah Foskey and Jason Adam Alola and Howard Cross and right like everybody. Which and, which one? The third yeah. and twenty or the one that went for nineteen? The, the twenty. The, I think it's the one they ran the, or the second and eight from midfield where he stepped. It was in the second quarter. Um, he Foskey was coming behind him. He stepped up. Adam Alola was coming his face. He stepped back and then stepped up and like he kept his eyes downfield the whole time. It just like. I don't really know what um, the solution is for that if you're Notre Dame, but it just there was never a moment where I felt like, ooh, they're getting Caleb Williams off schedule. Right. You know, he he just felt like he was in command of 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 the stadium of USC of Notre Dame, like of the of the whole scene. He was running the show. He, he was. He really. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned that. I mean, his well, it wasn't. His, his, he had the last two touchdowns. Um, the second to last one. He makes one man miss and basically backpedals his way in from five yards because he's got so much space and he's mm-hmm. just taunting Notre Dame's defense. The second one was on a fourth and two, and the game was already out of reach, and he just burst right up the middle for a 16-yard touchdown. Yeah. And then after the game, he's with the fans, um, he's with the band. Like he he, you know, he, he's a showman. Like he he gets like there's a reason Caleb Williams and his father want to come to USC. Um, there's a difference between being a first round pick and the number one pick. The same way there's a difference between being like a low four star recruit and high four star recruit. Like Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush are still living off what they did at USC. And Caleb Williams in one year taking these guys from four and eight to probably in the college football playoff and absolutely win the Heisman. I, I don't even know who would be runner up at this point. Maybe Matt, probably Max Duggan because no one's talking I, about him at yeah, all. Yeah, your Heisman poll is going to be very, <laughs> very short of drama uh, on Monday. Who's number two? I'm very curious. And I'll also be curious who gets in the playoff if TC or USC loses next week because yeah. that's a whole nother. All right, no bigger Notre Dame fans tonight than uh, the good people of Columbus, Ohio. And Notre Dame, unfortunately, let no. them down in that regard. But no. uh, did you see, by the way, this just came through. Our colleague Chris Winnie sent this on Twitter. I, I think it's real. Caleb Williams, who's known for painting his fingernails, um, according to the AP's Mark Terrell, painted on his uh, eight non-thumb fingers. A uh, four-letter word that starts with F on one hand, mm. and uh, NDXX on the other. Looks real. They're citing the AP. Okay. Makes for good podcast content, and we're talking about Caleb Williams. Um, I guess, but so. I mean, 
you just look at the like compare this place what you were here in 18 and look that was a big game for Notre Dame they yeah. clinched a playoff berth with the win but I mean I can't imagine the environment was anything like no it was, this one it was more of a bowl game crowd there was a there was a good Notre Dame sort of uh, crew here for that one um, this this felt like a legit trip to the Coliseum a legit road game for Notre Dame which like there haven't you haven't come here and felt like a hostile environment really since 06 definitely 02 um but damn that's all that was a long ass time ago i mean it was funny before the game you saw uh brian cushing <laughs> sort of on the sidelines and james laranitis and marcus freeman go up to him it was like kind of like real recognized real like <laughs> the, the, remember when we were five-star linebackers back in the day um playing in the all-american game together but uh Taylor Mays, by the way, I saw on the field. Saw, He's a student assistant, apparently. I did I not know that. S- I didn't know that either. I, I also saw him on <laughs> looked, the field. I was like, he doesn't look like a student. He looks no. like a guy who used to make a lot of big plays. Yeah, that brought back memories of him in 06 chasing down Armando Allen, I think. <laughs> or maybe it was 09. I can't remember. It all runs together. There was much more of a big game vibe to it. Um, you know, it's it. You know, I, I know people talk about, hey, it's, it's better for college football when Notre Dame is relevant, and it is like – I think the same thing told true for USC. I mean, I think it's like, that with every blue blood for the yeah. most part. But yes, I mean, especially yeah. for the sake purpose of this conversation, this rivalry, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that this rivalry is going to hit a different, hopefully, a different gear because it they have not been good at the same time for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Other than just like bits and pieces, they are both good this year. I think they'll both be good next year, um, and they maybe just be both be good for a while now. But um, you know, this would if Notre Dame had won tonight, it would have been the first time they beat a ranked team in LA since '92, and it would have been the oh, first time they had upset USC in this series since 2010, which was like the Harrison Smith pick game at the end, Brian Kelly's first season. So it's been it's been a minute since Notre Dame has won in this game when people thought it shouldn't. It's been even longer when they've beaten a very a good US team USC team here. Um, but I mean, like we've kind of talked about already, they had, they had their moments to do it. Um, it's not like they needed to play a perfect game tonight. They just needed to play better than the one that they did. No, they, they did. And you know, as you talk about USC and Notre Dame being back good for football, good for college football. I mean, the pregame scene, did you go on the field? I did. Yeah. It wasn't like. I'll be hard pressed to ever find something that compares at least in a regular season to the Ohio state Notre Dame scene this year where LeBron James and everyone who's everyone is on the field, but it was similar enough, especially for, you know, a Notre Dame team that, you know, wasn't necessarily playing for anything as far as, you know, uh, your six ball or a college football playoff for I mean, this was a three loss Notre Dame team coming into uh, this season or this game. And, you know, it was a big game environment. This was a big game for USC. Like they had a lot to prove. They had, you know, Caleb Williams got his official, probably Heisman stamp of approval and USC, especially with Oregon losing and they could still play Oregon next week, but it's firmly established itself as the team to be in the Pac-12 and with all the dominoes that fell elsewhere um, is undoubtedly in the playoff with a win next week. I did think it was funny. Um, they announced Texas A&M beating LSU on the, on the stadium. And uh, while on most nights that would make Notre Dame fans happy, it made USC fans explode uh, with cheers because – uh, two loss LSU somehow was ranked ahead of uh, one loss USC in this past week's college football playoff uh, selection committee rankings. That's not going to matter anymore. Um, but no, it, it was cool and it was refreshing to be in this building, this renovated building, which is a lot nicer than the last time I was here, and 
feel have a big game environment and have the fans like being stuck outside trying to get in at kickoff because there's so mm-hmm. many and they're not used to it here. It was it was cool. It was fun. I mean. You're more of a recruit, Nick, than I am, but but some of the names you saw on the sideline pregame uh, from the high school ranks, not to mention, you know, you mentioned Brian Cushing walked them out of the tunnel uh, today. Keyshawn Johnson was down there. Willie, Willie McGinnis. McGinnis. Yep. Um, you know, it felt like you know, Will I Am, who had uh, sunglasses on and a hat, I and I never would have. Well, they showed him on the scoreboard, and then they played. I got a feeling. Okay. Um, they also showed a, a guy dressed in a priest outfit that said. Uh, Catholics for USC. Yes, the fighting pope <laughs> outfit happening. Yeah, yeah. It just, I, I, it's good for college football that this series is a big deal because you know how often have we gone through seasons the last few years where it's like last okay, it's Thanksgiving weekend. You got Michigan, Ohio State. You got Alabama, Auburn, and that's it. And, like, like, and then Notre Dame is you know some when they're playing USC, it's still like it's important to Notre Dame, but it's not a game that really registers it, it nationally. And tonight like, definitely did. It felt like an appropriate. Like it's not Michigan Ohio State. Nothing is Michigan Ohio State yeah. this year. Where both are undefeated, but with that game at noon and this game at seven thirty, it felt like a, an appropriate. I hate to say undercard because it was the last event, but like an appropriate bookend to just a crazy day of college football yep. and college football upsets yeah. and rivalry games and narratives getting flipped. And so in, in that regard, it was fun to see and be a part of. And, and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how this changes and, and progresses for both programs under first year head coaches um, in the next couple of years. I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm writing this for tomorrow, but a year ago tomorrow, USC is playing their last home game, losing to BYU and Lincoln Riley's in the middle of Bedlam. They lose, and he's hired a day later. And it's just crazy to think, like how quickly that has happened. And even Lincoln Riley spoke a little bit about this, you know, after the game tonight. As far as you know, did I say we're going to be eleven and one? Like I, I don't want to put limits on what we're doing, but I knew what we were capable of, and and here we are. Um, it's just remarkable to see, and you know, not everywhere has the advantages that USC does as far as recruiting and geography and, and history. Um, but but it definitely, you know, for better or worse, gives hope, and and um, probably quicker quicker triggers ads around the country wondering when their coaches are going to turn their programs around because what what he's done here has been abs- as good as you could possibly hope for in year one if you're a USC fan. Yeah, there was it was a moment after the game um, where Jack Swarbrick is down on the field. Uh, talking to Mike Bone, and I was just like, I, I hope he's asking him like, how does this transfer portal work? Like, how ca- how can Notre Dame take better advantage of this? Because I, there have been, I mean, two of the biggest moments of the season, like at least in terms of what they should be informative for Notre Dame, were Marshall and tonight. And Marshall had twenty transfers, I believe. USC had more than twenty transfers, and including basically their entire offensive skill positions um including a guy that was at stanford um so it's not they're not just sort of like picking guys out from everywhere um this notre dame i i don't want to make this a referendum on everything because it's not like notre dame could go into the portal and find caleb williams um yeah he almost went to wisconsin yeah but they they are going to have to be more aggressive in this moving forward like if marcus freeman like when marcus freeman talks about you know, you got to find ways to enhance everything. He's got to go to Jack Swarbrick and say, look, we have to enhance in the portal. We don't need to have an entire team made of guys from the portal. And I think even uh, Freeman's message to the team last night was basically that USC is you know, more of a hired gun program and you have a culture that you've built over three, four, five, six years for some. Um, 
that doesn't need to change because you take three or four transfers. Um, that that should not threaten that culture. Um, but I do think Notre Dame as an institution needs to sort of get on board with the portal now and say, look, if there's a way we can enhance our roster, let's figure out a way to do it and make this a little bit easier for our football program than we're currently making it. Um, again, like, would that have changed tonight? Probably not. But I think for Notre Dame to sort of work around the edges, like there's still going to be a developmental high school recruiting program. That's fine. That's how it should be for Notre Dame. But there's got to be more Brandon Josephs out there. Um, there had to be a quarterback last year that they could have got. Um, so some of that is figuring out how to go after and going after him. And some of that is the university sort of being a little bit more in lockstep with the realities of college football in 2022 as it's almost 2023. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's just it, USC is proof right now that it could be done and that could be done quickly. And you're seeing, you know, to a lesser extent, you're seeing some other programs around the country getting better quicker because it's e- in some ways it's easier as a new coach to take over and not start from scratch. I mean, Lane Kiffin right. has become the portal king and you know, mm-hmm. the self-titled portal king, but like he got Ole Miss until the last three weeks a pretty damn good team this year that no one saw coming because he recruited the portal extremely well. But th- that's got to be that in NIL, which is another podcast ran for another day has got to be <laughs> like a, a priority for Notre Dame. Um, yeah. I just, when, when you see it on the field, the way you did tonight, even like, to your point with Marshall, which you wouldn't think about like as a no. learning lesson. Um, but I know that, I know that resonated with like people in positions of influence around Notre Dame. There's like, whoa, 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 they have how many transfers? Like, what are we doing here? Um, there's there's got to be an examination of and look if Notre Dame at the end of the day is like we just can't do it, then like let's not pretend that you're like all in with it, right? Like that's there. There's got to be steps you can take to get more out of an avenue that you is can is right there for you in college football right now. Um, and that you know that wasn't that way five years ago or ten years ago, but. There's, there's just got to be more that Notre Dame can do there, but they have, they have to, they got to have a, a conversations that people above Marcus Freeman's pay grade about, like how do you get that done? Yeah, I mean, and it's you know setting aside the the, and I don't mean to say this as it's insignificant. I just say it because I'm not in those meetings, but like setting aside the the red tape and the emissions stuff and credit transfers that go behind the scenes as far mm-hmm. as admitting a transfer. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't. It should be like on its own, on, on name brand, on institution, institutional rep. Notre Dame should be the king of transfers. Like you, you miss yeah. out on a four or five star who is going for the the bells and whistles elsewhere, and he's turns yeah. twenty one and says, "You know what? I actually want a really good degree and to play high level football." Like there are more players in college football right now than not who I think feel that way, and who I only want to say make that mistake because. A lot. Everyone transfers. I don't think it's a mis- mistake to commit wherever you commit as an 18-year-old. But like, I just you know, uh, Jerry Tillery, right, Baton Rouge kid who like grew up in the shadow of LSU, mm-hmm. and says, "Oh, you know, to some extent, I want to be president of the United States one day. I'm only going to do that if I go to a place like Notre Dame." Like, you can't tell me there aren't a lot of people who can play really good football who have that same kind of mentality that Notre Dame and only Notre Dame right. can target. And that like would be you know, and again, not to get into NIL stuff, but like. That's a that kind of player is somebody that brands would want to associate with. Yes, you know that's. I realize Caleb Williams has like a million NIL deals happening right now, um, 
but like Notre Dame should be very, very marketable in like modern college football. There's no, the, the changes to this sport should not automatically be hindrances to Notre Dame. They should be places where you can find new solutions. Um, and I, I have no doubt that Marcus Freeman will push for that. Uh, I think that he has built up enough credibility in year one to have earned the right to push for that. Um, so it would be what what do you think Freeman took out of tonight that would be instructive for him moving forward? Because that's like, and I don't want to make everything a big picture all the time because I already do it too much. But like if you're Marcus Freeman, aside from, you know, so the transfer stuff, like I, I think certainly come away like you got to have a playmaker, a quarterback, not a game manager. Um, I don't know. Was there anything else that you would come away from tonight being like, hey, we got to play it this way? Because, I mean, as we watched earlier today from our hotel, like you can play explosive smash mouth football. Michigan does yeah. it. Notre Dame has done it. And in spots this season, there's no reason Notre Dame can't have a powerful running game that like kicks the crap out of people, but also a quarterback who's more of a threat that has to be respected in the pass game. Yeah, I mean, I think Michigan is is, is proof of concept, right? And I, I think you know, 12 hours ago we may not have been saying that because no one, at least I didn't think Michigan was going to win today. And when Blake Corum went down, I definitely didn't think they were going to win today. And they ended up just literally shooting Ohio State into another universe. And now that program's having a, an identity crisis of itself, even though they might actually backdoor their way into the playoff if things break the right, right way for them. But, I, you know, I, I, I like the identity they were going for, and I liked it at its peak, as we saw during the Clemson game. And I thought it was, you know, as we, we closed the book on year one of, of the Marcus Freeman era, you know, I don't think you can over oversell or overestimate just how important it was for him to not just not just not lose the locker room and the coaching staff after yeah. the Stanford game, but to get them to be playing their best ball down the stretch entering this game. Now it didn't work out for them tonight. I think they had 19 straight November wins. Um, that streak is snapped. It was yes. the longest in the country. Um, it was but a I, weekend for those streaks. Like Clemson's home win streak was the longest in the country. Right, yeah. Michigan, snapped, Michigan winning in Columbus. Yeah. Um, Brian Kelly again eliminated from the college football playoff. Notre Dame averaged uh, 215.8 rushing yards per game during their five-game winning streak and had just 90 a night against a defense that all of us were calling into question tonight. And I don't know how that – I don't pretend to be a play caller or an offense coordinator or or to know everything that goes into it. I I imagine when Drew Pine's dealing the way he is tonight, like that's going to take something away from your commitment to the run and from your offensive lines kind of bulldozing like play when they have the game they did against Clemson and Pines Mm -hmm. only throwing for 80 yards. But, uh, you know, they they need to be more complete and well-rounded in a game like this. And defensively, again, I know they were stretched thin. I know they had to play formations that they had not really had to to tap into before. Uh, But I expected more from them, at least on the ground. Um, I I did not expect Austin Jones to have the kind of game he did for USC. That's two weeks in a row now. Um, You know, Travis Dye was was, was their go-to back all year all year long. He's on crutches now. He's not playing. Um, and, and USC really leaned into that. I mean, if I told you before the game, USC's leading receiver would have four catches and their leading receiving yards guy would have 45 yards. I mean, that's a win. Even oh, yeah. Caleb Williams, 232 passing yards. That's a yeah. win. Um, there were a lot of stats that felt like they were wins for Notre Dame tonight. Okay, I mean, they had more yards per play than USC tonight. Three, as many incompletions as touchdown passes for Drew Pine. 
That's insane. That's a win. Yeah. Um, there are there are wins to be found all over, and that's why I sort of get back to like that. You know, I mean, we had the NIL talk and the transfer talk, but like, really, it's just like Mitchell Evans pick up the first down. <laughs> Drew Pine, don't fumble a ball. Like what, that was, but that was such. I hate saying Omen when when they don't get that first down early on. I'm thinking, yeah, this could be a long night, and it wasn't to their credit. But I just thought these are the spots, the situational spots where you need to be clearly the better team than USC, especially to a chance to win in the trenches. Yes, you know a place, and, a place after, where you are better. It came after them. third and two as well. Yeah, which I think was a called pass, if I recall correctly. And Pine ended up going. Yeah, forward that and was that, short. that was like. Watching the replay of that, I I marked it down as like this is significant, and then he picked up the first down only to get it right. reviewed. because like I believe Logan Diggs was uncovered in the flat to his left, and he did not he did not see him. Um, that's part of the game where I think Pine struggles quite a bit seeing running backs out of the backfield, even though he hit Audric Estime uh, for a thirty yarder in the first half. Like there's you know. <sighs> For how much crap Tommy Reese takes, and I understand some of it, like there are solutions all over the field for Notre Dame. There were solutions all over the field for Notre Dame offensively tonight that they did not capitalize on. Um, I don't think that there was a ton of stuff where I was just like, wow, USC either whipped him or got him in a great call. Like there were some moments where they did, but I mean, Drew Pine, when Drew Pine throws for a career high, and has as many incompletions as touchdown passes. Like to me, that that says Reese got a ton out of Pine tonight, and I would give him some of the credit for that performance. In addition, obviously Pine himself. Um, you know, it's like I think at halftime people were ready to like be like, "All right, that's it. I, I can't watch anymore." But like, I thought that Reese actually did a pretty good job of getting Pine in a good state of mind when he, he, there were moments tonight where I felt like the game could have slipped away from Notre Dame. Oh, there were a lot of moments. And it never, yeah, it never did. Totally did. Um, so yeah, I would just, I would, I would give Drew Pine quite a bit of credit for like kind of ma- almost maximizing what he is tonight. Um, he's, but man, he's, he's really going to want that fumble back. That's going to, that's probably going to stick with him for a long time, which like you saw, you don't see players just like, crumpled to the turf like in kind of anguish the way he did after that fumble um that that one just really really hurt the, the other one that stands out to me usc dominating time of possession 35 to 24 yeah did not see that coming tonight no all. and i know you know part of it's tailored to the style of the game and um but again it felt like usc scored really quickly every time they had the ball for the most part uh but i did appreciate your uh can't block a pun if you don't actually line up yeah. to do a pun. Caleb Williams, who uh, made the joke afterward, I had the longest pun of the season, Coach. Yeah. I'm, I'm game to do it again. Uh, that one came, by the way, <laughs> everyone's talking about the 19-yard the run he had in the third quarter. Uh, the second quarter run before that that set up that pun, it was third and 20. Or, excuse me, it wasn't a run. And he just, I, I want to know how many air yards he threw it, but he threw a pass to, I think it was Mario Williams. Um and Mario Williams was signaling first down because he caught it near the initial first down oh, yeah. marker. It was a 12-yard catch when they needed 20. I also, but I, Williams threw it so far away because yes. he scrambled so much that I think in that, real time you thought, oh, yeah. I think based on Twitter, Fowler actually announced it as a first down. 
which I like to be totally honest. I thought it was a first down just because the pass went so far. Like well, and he just... signaled. Yeah, it was Mario Williams. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was Mario Williams. And yeah, he signaled first. Down. Okay. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was just there was just some nonsensical stuff. Um, I'm not saying that you can't defend it if you're Notre Dame, but like it felt like it felt like at the end though. Like Caleb felt like I, he was playing with a little. Like you're yeah. obviously not going to do that in the NFL or in a playoff game, but there were some times where I'm just like. All right, like we we get it, dude. You can spin. You're, they're not going to get you. Like, just get rid of the ball. There was a yeah. There was a lot of that. Um, I don't, you know, for how much Freeman talked about Caleb Williams' tackle breaking ability during the week. Um, Al Golden talked a little bit about it on Tuesday night when I asked. Um, that's got to be like as much as you want to like tip your cap to Caleb Williams. That's got to be something if you're Notre Dame. Be like, how the hell did we let that happen? Um, it's not like he's Cam Newton back there. Um, yeah, he was nice. He's six one two fifteen. Yeah, no, he's uh, not as big as him, but he's definitely quicker. Yeah, no, I mean, he's he's a hell of a player. Um, just like I think Notre Dame's pass rush, they had a good plan that they didn't come through with, uh, and I don't really know what the plan is for. Like, all right, this guy's just going to spin out of eighty seven tackles. Um, there were, you know, Marcus Freeman talked about. You could really sense his frustration, I guess, in the audio recording since I didn't make it to his presser due to USC's curious field management postgame. But neither here nor there. Uh, you could sense that Freeman was frustrated by Notre Dame having a plan, installing the plan, and then not executing the plan. Um, I don't think there was anything Caleb Bloom says. While it was spectacular to behold, I don't think he did anything that surprised Marcus Freeman or Notre Dame. Uh, so I, Tui, Tuli Tui Piloto came out post game for USC. He got asked a question, you know, about you know, what do you think every time Caleb does this? And he goes, you know, I'm not surprised anymore. Like he is, he, that's what he does. Yeah. And I, I said, well, how happy are you? You don't have to face him um, like the other defenses do. And he goes, I do every day in practice. And someone followed up, well, do you bring him down in practice? And he just smiled and said, I try to. <laughs> so <laughs> that's everybody, I guess, yeah. not just an Notre Dame problem, but it was certainly on, on display tonight and. Uh, you know, that's that's going to be a problem for Notre Dame next year. It's going to be a problem for everyone next year, unless this guy, if anyone, yeah. if anyone can figure out a way to bypass can you, the third uh, Can year. you write a, uh, should Caleb Williams opt out of his junior season uh, column, or at least the enough, month of October? Money too, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, can, if he can afford to do it, I guess that makes sense. But, um, yeah, it's a, I mean, Notre Dame, they, so they finish up 8-4, and four, um, their bowl outlook is down. Uh, Holiday was here tonight. Holiday Spoke was here, them. that's good. Um, Gator. Cheese it, holiday. Chick fil A was here, but not for them. Yeah, but not for them. Uh, basically, the way it comes down to Notre Dame, if you're trying to figure this out, as I have been trying to figure out for a long time. <laughs> yeah, Clemson and North Carolina just completely yeah, like, they really us even more. screwed us on that. But um, the Cheese It Bowl has first pick, the Gator Bowl has second pick, the Holiday Bowl has third pick. Notre Dame will not, is sort of in the same group with North Carolina and Florida State because they're one win. Within them, with yeah. them, uh, I expected North Carolina to be outside of that threshold, but they lost to NC State. <laughs> so I'm not now. It's a matter of like where are these, where are the heads of these bowls at? Um, I will believe that a bowl will bypass Notre Dame when I see it. I am not, I have not seen it. I know our boss Stu Mandel has heard some things that has led him to believe that the both the Cheez It and Gator like Florida State and North Carolina because they're more local and they're not available. They're both having up seasons. Um, 
Florida State, I can see. I have a hard time seeing North Carolina. But yeah, it, it feels to me that the Cheez It would. My my hunch today would be the Cheez It Bowl would take Florida State, the Gator Bowl would take Notre Dame, and the Holiday Bowl would take North Carolina. You can hold me to that in about eight days when we find all this out. But um, if Notre Dame goes to the Gator Bowl, they'll be playing an SEC team. I uh, don't think it. I mean, it's not going to be. It's not going to be LSU. Um, but it, they will. It, you know, kind of a South Carolina type of matchup. Um, which hey, that's not bad. Yeah, which is compelling. Two um, teams that beat Clemson this year. Yeah, exactly. They can compare notes on that. So that's sort two of two best special teams coordinators in the ooh, country. Yeah, they were uh, Pete Lumbo and watch list people. So yeah, there's a lot. You know, Drew Pine referenced it. There's a bunch for Notre to play for. I. You know, I, I realize sometimes that can be taken as like empty rhetoric, but for a coach in his first year um, who's trying to like get the culture in a good spot, like w- the bowl will be an interesting test for Notre Dame because that was, you know, I got to give Brian Kelly credit because I, not just because I picked Iowa State a few years ago, but like Notre Dame showed up for that stuff. Like they were, they were never the team that like didn't give a crap. Um, if they got beat in a bowl game, it's because they got beat by a better team. Right. So, um, now Freeman gets to sort of have that challenge of how do you wire a college team to come back from a loss like this uh, and deliver in a bowl game. Uh, I would think that they will do a good job of that. Um, you know, and then Freeman's going to have some decisions to make with recruiting and all that, that uh, will be very fascinated to watch in the, in the coming weeks. How many, I, I realized that, well, there's Michael Mayer, but you know, aside from Mayer, there aren't a whole lot of Kyle Hamilton's on this team. How many guys do you think, actually play in a bowl game. Uh, yeah, it's like... And I, I I will preface this, but I want to say, like, if half the roster says we're done, God bless them. Like, I, I don't sit... I yeah, do not no, begrudge anyone, no. nor do I Nor do I look at this as an indictment on anything no. with the culture, the coaching, if people opt out. It's just the way of the world in 2022. Yeah, it's like, I mean, Mayor, for sure. Um, if... Joseph? Joseph, you know, Hart's out. He's in a sling, so I, I wouldn't expect him back. Yeah, you know, it's like... I think Isaiah Foskey, my understanding is like he would like to play in the game, but like I don't know if it's a great business decision to right. do it. Um, we'll see. I think that there's probably a lot to get sorted out. I would think that making a decision in the uh, raw aftermath of this is probably not a great approach to that. But um, yeah, that that will be sort of an interesting. Like the bowl game means a hell of a lot less than it did ten years ago because it's it's no longer like the capstone for your season. It's sort of like this one-off exhibition that falls between the the current season and the next season. So it's, um, it's kind of hard to look at that, but like if you're, if you're Dion Colsey, if you're Audric Estime, Logan Diggs, like there's a lot of younger talent on this team at these skill positions that, you know, heck if you're, if you're Mitchell Evans or Holden stays Mm -hmm. uh, and Michael Mayer's not going to be there, like you have an opportunity to sort of put a claim down on that job for next year. So, I'll be interested to sort of see how that shakes out. But, um, yeah, we'll know Notre Dame's bowl destination pretty much Sunday afternoon, I think, of next week after championship yeah. weekend. Sunday that, afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, Sunday. that's when that stuff comes out. So I don't know if you have any final thoughts for our final post-game podcast in person here. but um, um, Because when we did this last year, everything we thought we knew about everything, Notre Dame, USC, Oregon, where I was that day, like everything just – completely blew up overnight yeah um hopefully this podcast has a longer shelf life um, hopefully we're not doing one every night this week like we did every night God. this week last year yeah um well that was great for business um 
What do you eight days from now? What do you think is different about Notre Dame football recruiting wise with them? I'm assuming Marcus is going to stay out here. Or some of them got some of them are going to stay yeah, out here. I'm sure the way they, they usually do. Um, I don't think any staff changes would happen this quickly unless someone gets hired elsewhere. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean eight days is a, an eternity, especially in a college football offseason. Yeah, and it's like even their recruiting class. They're you know they got Kenny Minchie, the four star quarterback, the other week. Um, this the guy they're really sort of like working around the margins now. Like can you add a skill position guy here, a receiver there, maybe a a combo DB skill position guy. So it's I don't think a lot's going to change. I I would if I was my hunch. I think that Freeman will probably take his time on this um, to figure out, all right, where were we? What needs to get better? What can get better through talent? What can get better through uh, roster acquisitions? What can get better through coaching? I think that he'll probably take his time with this. Um, And I am interested to sort of see what resources he calls in on it. Um, I think we both know that he has leaned pretty heavily on Jack Swarbrick to date. Um, you know, is this more of a, a trestle call? Um, are there other, you know, he's close with Mike Vrabel. Like who's, who's he sort of calling about like, Hey, you know, I got to push my program in direction X, you know, do I, do I need to tinker with some things? So I think that's a, probably not a rash decision he needs to make. Um, and I, I guess I would think that the season had enough of like an eye of the beholder vibe to it that. He probably would want to think it through opposed to like coming to a decision like right now. Brian Day leaves for the NFL. Is Marcus Freeman coaching on the Ohio State sidelines next year? <laughs> Good God, Matt. Uh, How'd end on that note? <laughs> no, uh, no, but Luke Fickle might be. Um, yeah, so that's that's a whole nother. Uh, they whole might make the playoff if USC or TCU loses. As crazy as that sounds, Kevin well, Warren was already politicking hey, for them as after we, the game. Uh, look, we all covered a program last year where the head coach thought the team should have been in the playoff <laughs> and then took another job before he, waiting around to find out if they made it. So, ba- uh, no, baseball, they waited till they made the playoff and then he left after. Yeah, good time. <laughs> so, on that note, we'll wrap it up from the top of the LA Coliseum. Um, it was, man, it was a wild performance. Caleb Williams. You're looking up the final score right now, aren't you? The Heisman hype. I get it. Um, USC 38, Notre Dame 27. Um, There's a lot to pick apart here. I'm really going to, I don't know if I'd say I enjoy rewatching this game tomorrow, but I'm very interested to rewatch this game tomorrow because it was just, there were so many moments where Notre Dame was a play here, a play there from really putting some serious game pressure on USC, couldn't get it done. Uh, and ultimately, that led to some of uh, you know Marcus' frustration, Marcus Freeman's frustration, walking on the field. But Notre finishes the regular season eight and four. Um, they'll figure out their bowl next week. Matt and I will be there to talk about it, write about it, podcast about it, all those good stuff. So, thanks for being with us this season on the Shamrock. Um, Shout out to our Manhattan Beach friends we made last yes. night, listeners. Great, surprisingly huge turnout. Uh, in this part of the country. That was fun. A lot of a lot of Shamrock listeners out here on the West Coast. So we appreciate you, uh, as we do our listeners all over the country. So on that note, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.